Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon today is by Dale Yoakum. It was preached in 1980, and it's simply titled, Balaam the Gambler. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. Will you turn your Bibles tonight to Numbers chapter 23? The scripture that I'm going to read is taken out uh, of the middle of the account of Balaam the prophet. You remember that Israel was marching on their way to Canaan and they had come into the area of Moab and Midian. And Balak, the king of Moab, had sent for Balaam the prophet to curse Israel. And we begin in the midst of this story. After Balaam had gone on his way to meet with Balak. Chapter 23, beginning with verse 5. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable and said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And then over in chapter 31 of the same book, Numbers chapter 31, verse 8, And they slew the kings of Midian, Beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Recham and Zer and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also the son of Beor they slew with the sword. Verse 13. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp. And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor 
and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Once again, reading from First or Second Peter, chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Second Peter, chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Peter is speaking about those who have denied the Lord, denied the faith, and turned to wickedness. And he says of them which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, thou art here in our midst tonight, and we honor thee for it. How we praise thee for all thou hast done among us in this camp meeting. And yet tonight our hearts are heavy with a burden for those who have not yet yielded to thee. Oh, how dark is the way for those who, like Balaam, stubbornly set themselves to get what they want in the time they have left. And there are some like that sitting right here in this house tonight. Their hearts are away from thee. Their wills are set against thee. They have no desire to bow before thee tonight. They want their own way. They want what they can get to satisfy their lusts. We pray for them tonight. Oh God, we beseech thee to have mercy on people that don't deserve thy mercy. Once more, please, Lord, draw strongly and graciously upon those who have resisted thy drawing heretofore. Oh God, we need a breakthrough in this camp meeting. Not because we are here, but because thou art here. We pray thou would do something special for us tonight. There will be people go right out of this camp to hell unless they yield in this service tonight. Oh, God, save them by thy grace. Move them by thy mercy, thy grace, thy tenderness here tonight. Breathe upon us thy unusual anointing and help. We have to have it, Lord, and we look to thee for it through Christ. Amen. I want to join together one statement made by Balaam and one made about Balaam as the foundation of this message tonight. The statement made by Balaam is this, Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. And the statement made about Balaam, He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam wanted to live like the sinner and die like the saint. He wanted the wages of unrighteousness while he lived, but when he came to die, he wanted to die like the righteous. And that suggests the subject for tonight, the gambling of Balaam, or Balaam the gambler. Balaam was a terrible gambler. It got into his system. It got into his mind. It took hold of him and it ruined him. 
Gambling is one of the most devastating sins there is. Arthur Brisbane, the noted author, said, Gambling is the worst of vices that can afflict the human race, the most difficult to cure. And it is certainly just as difficult to cure spiritual gambling as it is financial gambling, probably harder. Balaam was an awful gambler, and he lost eternally from his gambling. First of all, Balaam gambled for earthly possessions. He gambled away the favor of God and lost it for good forever to gain earthly possessions. Balak, the king of Moab, sent an embassage to Balaam to invite him to come and curse for him the nation of Israel. He sent a tidy sum of money, we are not told how much, but a goodly sum to entice this prophet to serve the interests of the king and curse his enemies. Balaam went in prayer, and God came to Balaam in the night doesn't say he gave him a dream or a vision. God himself came to Balaam. That's what the record says. God came down and had an interview with this prophet and said, I'm telling you, don't go with them. And do not curse them. They are my people and I will bless them. Don't you go contrary to my purpose for this people. Balaam sent the people back home, the messengers back home. But Balak was not easy to persuade. He sent messengers again, higher-ranking ambassadors, more impressive messengers. And this time, he said to Balaam, Sir, you can name your own price. We'll pay any figure you ask. You'll just come and curse these people that are a threat to our nation. They reached Balaam's price. He gambled with the will of God, with the leadings of the Lord, and sold out for money. He gambled that he could still remain a prophet, that he could still die like the righteous and get this tidy sum, this fantastic sum of money. Imagine having a king come to you and say, just name your price. Just name your figure and we'll pay it. Just come on and do what we ask you to do. Money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. We live in a world of money. We all have to have some money if we're going to get home from home sound. Well, even if you're going to get through home sound camp, you have to have a lot of money if you're going to respect the offering plates around here. We live in a world of money and exchange. There's nothing sinful about money. As such, money makes a very good servant. How we praise God for those who are so liberally supporting the cause of Christ. The 
cause of holiness, the cause of missions, the cause of Christian education, the cause of camp meetings. Every month that rolls by, we are made to praise God again for those who are supporting us in the ministry of missions. I just can't say thank you often enough to express the deep sincerity of my heart. Thank God for people that have wealth and know how to manage it for the cause and for the glory of God. Nothing wrong with people being rich with the riches that they will use all for the glory of God as faithful stewards of the gift that God has given unto them. But money makes a terrible master. There's a very subtle transition between using money and serving money. It's so subtle that I cannot possibly tell you where to draw the line in your own life, but you better have it drawn carefully, conscientiously, before God. As I was praying about this message this afternoon, my mind began to go back to some of the people recorded in God's word who were destroyed at the hands of God because while they started out to serve the Lord, they sold out for money. You think of Achan, who was a servant of God, a soldier in the army of the Lord, and who was fighting on the right side of the battle who was among God's people fighting the enemies. But at Jericho, he got his eyes on Babylonish garments and some silver and a wedge of gold. And his heart began to reach out for this. I want it. It's too strict to have to give this all, all into the treasury of the Lord. Achan took a little of it, put it under cover, and said, it won't make any difference. It did make a difference. The whole nation came to a halt while this affair was settled up. Achan and his whole household were put to death, for they became covetous. Israel had such a person. Jesus had such a person right among his twelve disciples. There was Judas who had talent in handling money. He was selected as the one to be the treasurer for the twelve. John says of him that Judas began to reach his hand in and take a little out for himself once in a while. That was the beginning of the course that led to his total destruction in time and in eternity. His sticky fingers. There are probably people right here in this house You'd be right with God if you didn't have to make a restitution for some money you took somewhere along the way. Judas wouldn't make his restitution. He went to hell. Where are you going with the money you took? The early church had their Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to be known as saints. They wanted the acclamation that went to those who were giving everything to the cause of Christ and his church. They sold a piece of property. They didn't have to give it all to the Lord, but they wanted the honor that came from to those who were believed to give all to the Lord. So they said they were giving all, but kept back for themselves part of the price. 
They died on the spot for their lust for gain and their lust for the praise of the people as if they had given everything. We could go on. We could talk about the soldiers that guarded the tomb of Jesus. When Jesus was risen, the leaders of the church, I mean the leaders of the synagogue, came to these Roman soldiers and said, well, tell you what, we'll give you a large sum of money if you'll tell everybody that asked you a lie about this and tell them the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body away while you slept. Now, we know that's dangerous to confess you are sleeping, but if it comes to the governor... We'll do some more manipulating here and we'll get you off the hook. You just tell the lie we want you to tell. And the Bible says they took the money and did what they were told to do. There are lots of people following their train and some of them are sitting right here in this house tonight. If you get enough money for it, you'll do what your boss tells you to do when he tells you to do it. No matter what the Bible says or the church says or your conscience says, if you just get enough money out of it, you'll go along with it. Have you ever checked out seriously the warnings of the Bible about letting money get a grasp on your heart? Have you? Have you ever followed through seriously the Bible warnings against letting money and the things of this world get a hold of our affections? Well, just to apply it to your heart afresh tonight, I want to turn and read some words from 1 Timothy. Paul's warning. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he is passionate. He's dealing with a matter of life and death, of destiny. I think there are only five times in Paul's writings where he sounds a warning with the word, Oh! Oh! Take heed! And he does it twice in this chapter. Oh, man of God, flee these things. What things? Adultery, fornication? No. Oh, young man, flee from these. What? The love of money. Don't let it get a hold of your heart. I'd like to say that to every young person here tonight. Oh, young heart, don't let the things of this world get a grasp on your affection. Here are some of the figures that are used by Jesus and Paul. Look what Paul says. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. For they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's a trap that will get you. What's a snare for? It's to catch animals to put them to death. This is a snare the devil would use to catch you and destroy you. If you're in love with the things of this world. I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to older people here tonight. There are some people that are dressed very modestly. But their hearts are in love with the things of this world. They never go to the movies. They never go and take a drink of beer. But they're storing up boats and cabins and houses and vehicles and lands as a treasure for their security. This is a snare. It can drag us to hell. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Are you? 
You have a spirit of contentment with whatever God wants you to have. They that will be rich, not they that are rich, but they that have a purpose to be rich. I want money. They fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men. Here's another figure. Caught in a trap. Drowning. Too close to the edge and they fall in and drown. They gasp for breath, but they're gone. Swallowed up. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through. Here's another figure. This person who begins to put his affection on the goods of this world is like a man falling, perhaps accidentally, on his own sword that runs him through and with much anguish he struggles and dies. And goes to hell. Jesus spoke about the good seed that fell among thorns. It began to grow, but the thorns choked it out. There's another figure. The choking process. And the choking is by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. It begins with cares, responsibilities, demands, necessities. And we drive hard to get ahead and make enough money to meet the bills. And it becomes a distraction. The word care is something here that distracts or pulls away. And gradually by this process, it weans them away from heavenly things. Oh, what a snare. Oh, what a subtle process. Meeting the demands of the economy. Our affections begin to be drawn away from the Lord. We have to work overtime. Father and mother and all the children have to go to work to meet all the bills and buy all the things. Something begins to happen in the home and in the heart. And it moves from cares to riches. By this application, we begin to get ahead. And oh, it feels so good to buy the extras and put away a tidy sum. And cares move into riches and riches move into pleasures. Aha. We've got it good, boy. Daughter, we've got it made. We can go out and have some pleasures. We can buy those boats and all of the tackle. Now, I'm not saying this is sinful. We need a little vacation once in a while. But we're getting in the area where we have to watch our souls. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. These thorns that grow up and choke out spiritual life. Oh, young man, fight against these things. Don't let yourself become in love with the things of this present world. I think of a young man that I knew when I was going to college. He attended the same church I did. He announced a call to preach, and the people were happy. But then the war came on. World War II came on. And this young man, before he started into Bible school, went into a defense job and got a fine salary. That was the end of the call. He never went to Bible school. He never answered the call. Money got him. 
I was talking to a layman that I know some few months ago, and he told me about his pastor, a man who was pastoring a church. He said, our pastor works at a fine-paying job in a factory all week long. We never get any spiritual food, any real spiritual food. We'd like to support a pastor who could feed his people. Our pastor is too interested in making money. The church is his sideline. He's so busy making money that he doesn't have time to dig into the we don't get spiritual food at our church. Isn't that tragic? I am sympathetic with people who simply have bills to meet and they have to do some extra work. But friends, don't let it get our affection. Don't let it turn us aside from doing the will of God and trusting God while we're doing his will. That man isn't really trusting God for his keep and for his health and for his prosperity. He's working for it. Balaam gambled and he lost. I think of a man that I knew who was called to be a preacher of the gospel when he was young. He started to Bible college to train for the pastorate. And then money got to his heart. And he said, I'm going into business. I'm going to make money. He did. He made lots of it. He bought houses and lands and businesses. I visited in his home one time. My wife and I were taken through the, the house, one of the houses that he owned, a palatial dwelling. We went through the bedrooms. We went through the living room, the dining room. We saw the fine furnishings and the fixtures of that home. Then the ladies went on outside and he invited me to sit down with him in the dining room at the table. They began to pour out his heart to me. He said, Brother Yochum, if I had it to do over again, I would do differently than I have done. I'm an old man now and it's too late to live my life over. I've lived it for money and I've made it. But I'm coming down to the end of my life. Oh, what I wouldn't give if I could turn back the years and live my life again. I've made money, but what does it mean as I come to the end of my life? I've missed the will of God. Oh, that I could go back. I would live for God first. I would live for others second. I would put myself last on the list. I put myself first as it was. I've spent my life for myself. And he was lost. They didn't even spend their nights in that palatial dwelling. They had a little cabin back on the backside of a near pasture. They went there to spend their nights. This house was too costly. It cost him his soul. It was a monument to his selfishness, his attachment to the goods of this world, and they damned him. Friends, are you gambling for earthly things? Is that where your affection is set? And I'm going to make money. I'm going to get houses and lands and vehicles and clothing and the fine. I'm going to have what this world has. That's what Balaam thought. He gambled. And he lost. In the second place, Balaam gambled for earthly friendships. When the second messengers came to him, they not only offered him all the money he wanted. Name your price, Balaam, they said. 
They also said, we will promote you to a great honor. You've just been a prophet, that's all. You really want to be somebody? You want to sit right up next to the king and have the applause and the popularity and the servants and the palatial residence? You really want to have honor and fit in this world, Balaam? Name your price and name your position. You can have it. Just come on along with us. That really appealed to Balaam. And it appeals to a lot of people that are sitting right here tonight. My heart goes out to people in this house tonight whose affections are set on the things of this world and not only the things of this world, but the applause of this world. The popular approval of this world. I'm talking to a host of people here tonight that are in the same bondage that Balaam got into. It would be nice to die like a saint, but I'm not going to pay the price of being ridiculed and mocked and smiled at by the people of this world. I just won't pay that kind of a price. I really dream about getting in before I die, but now while I'm young and while I'm strong and while the world would make fun of me for being an old-time Christian, I won't pay that kind of a price. I want this world's smile. I want this world's tender hand clasp. I want to do a little petting, if you please. I want the touch. I want the feel. I want the love affair of this world. God's love can wait. I want to make love to this world for a little while. I know a lot of you are sitting right here in this house. I pray God this afternoon. I pray God right now that you'll listen to me. You say, I like the touch of this world. I like its applause. I like its finery. I like its lust. So did Balaam. And he gambled he could live that way and die like a saint, but he lost his gamble and he lost it forever. It appealed to him. You say, but I really want it, brother. You don't know how much I want these things. Yes, I know pretty much how much you want it. You want it enough to let heaven go and let God go and let the saints go and let the church go and let your soul go to get it. That's too high a price to pay for your soul. That's the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of lust. That you want the very thing that will destroy you forever. 10,000 people might come back from the grave and say it does not pay. But I want it anyway. I want it. I, I like the feel of it. I, I like the glitter of it. I like the pull of it. So did Balaam. He loved, yes, he loved the wages of unrighteousness. I want this. Imagine sitting like a king, having my salary, I just named the figure. I can have it. And Balaam was in an intense struggle. Now mark you, he knew exactly what God wanted of him. And I'm going to get right back on the thing I've pounded away at two or three nights already. He knew the truth. God himself came down and had a night meeting with Balaam and said, Do not go, Balaam. Do not curse this people. I'm going to bless them. 
But a real struggle goes on in this man's heart. But I want this. I want the money and I want the popularity and I want the applause. I want the position. I want to fit in a high place in this world. I know God says not to go, but I want it. I want it. There, my friends, I repeat, is where the most important decision of all time and eternity is made. When we see the truth and we want the error. That's the parting of the ways right there. Balaam is at that point. A real struggle goes on within his heart. So I want you to notice what he does. He says to these men, I want you to wait. I'm going to go and see if the Lord has anything more to say to me. And so he goes before the Lord, and the Lord did have something more to say to him. He met him in the night and said, Balaam, go with these people. Oh, wonderful. I just got new light. I thought that was a little narrow. I really thought that was a little strict. And God himself has told me I can go now. Isn't that wonderful? I can have the office. I can have the salary. I can drive a golden chariot if I want. Hey! And, and God approves. I, I never felt so good about anything. I feel freer than I've ever felt in my life. Imagine. God has told me I can go. Why well, can live like a king and still be a prophet? God said it's all right. That's new life. I I feel I feel sympathy for these people that are still back in these same old strictures and this old narrowness. God God says it's all right. God did say so. Told Balaam it's all right. Go go Balaam go. Balaam started out. Wonderful. Wonderful, this new light we have. Got on his donkey and started down the road, and pretty soon the donkey came to a screeching halt. Abrupt stop. And uh, turned out of the way. Balaam struck him real soundly and tried to get back in the way and got down to where there were two walls, and again the donkey stopped. Short leaned over against the wall and smashed Balaam's foot and he struck him again. The donkey got up and tried to move on and he came to a narrower place and stopped and fell down under Balaam and he beat him real good. The donkey started talking. Imagine. Donkey started talking to Balaam. And Balaam was so dazed by this dream of riches that he wasn't even shocked by a donkey talking. He just talked right back without apparently any surprise at all. That's what Peter calls the madness of the prophet. The madness of a prophet to talk with a donkey and not even realize that there's anything unusual about it. And uh, pretty soon the donkey, as the donkey was talking, Balaam's eyes were open and he saw an angel standing in front of him. Oh, 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 he said. And the angel talked to Balaam. And he said, you, you have angered the Lord. You deserve to die. You deserve the, the punishment instead of this donkey. Oh, Balaam said, I have sinned. And he said, if you really want me to, I'll turn back and go home. If it could be possible that you might want me to go back. 
And he just said, go on. Hey, wonderful. Two witnesses have confirmed this new light. God himself and the angel both have said, I can go. That's what Peter called the madness of the prophet. A prophet that can't ask for all of this. When God comes and visits him in the night and a donkey speaks up and talks to him and an angel appears and warns him of his sin and he still doesn't, doesn't, uh, well, he doesn't want to catch on. That's all. If those three witnesses can't confirm a man's mind what he ought to do, and then the angel says, go on. The donkey says, the Lord says, go on. Go on. And so Balaam went on. But he decided on a strategy. Balaam decided on a strategy. He decided to retain the language of a prophet. God says, I can't curse this people, so I won't. I'm going to sound off beautiful prophecies. And he does. He gives some beautiful prophecies here, even concerning the coming of the Messiah. I'm going to maintain the language of a prophet, but I'm going to work out a scheme whereby I can get this money. I think I know what I can do. I think I can break down the demarcation between Israel and these Midianite people by getting the flirtatious young Midianite girls and the Israelite boys together for a party of some kind. I think this will do the trick. I believe that I won't even have to curse. I think I can keep up the language of a prophet here. Do what God tells me to do. But I think I can, I think I can destroy Israel just as well by this flirtation with the world as if I cursed them in the name of God. And that's exactly what he did. He got them to break down the line of demarcation with the world. Got the young men and the young ladies across the forbidden line of separation to flirt and intermarry and interact and brought a plague, a destruction upon the nation of Israel. The seriousness of this is is that exactly the same forces are operating in so-called holiness circles today. I went into a library of a large holiness institution a number of years ago, and I found in the records there this announced decision that had been made by the highest officials of the denomination. We have evaluated whether we should maintain the same standards, Bible standards of separation from the world as we have historically maintained. Or should we lower them in the interest of getting a bigger following and achieve more rapid growth? And the announcement was from the highest officials of the church, we have decided in favor of the growth and we will let the standards go and be silent on them in order to achieve greater growth. And their decision has been perfectly carried out. We will make the same statement said we will maintain our theological position but we will be silent on this matter of separation from the world. That's the way of Balaam. We want the popular following. We want to be known as a growing big somebody. 
But we're willing to interrelate with the world. We're willing to bring Christian rock right in. We're willing to bring in the styles of the world, the minis or the maxis or whatever the world wants. We'll let our young people have. We'll be very silent. Of course, we'll maintain our prophetic voice. We'll still sound off on our theological position. But we're going to let this interaction go along until nobody will be able to tell. Well, as a matter of fact, that group of people brings sinners in now, officially brings sinners in and gets them to join the church as sinners. And one of the baits used to get them in is to get them on the baseball team. You join our church, you can play on our baseball team. You don't have to be saved. You have to be, you have to be a church member to get on our ball team. Entice them into the church by the ball team or the young people's social and hope after a while we'll make good denominationalists out of them. That's the strategy of Balaam. All over again. Is it any wonder that the last three writers of the New Testament sound this note of warning about Balaam? Peter does, and Jude does, and John does. This is a message for our time. Peter calls it the madness of the prophet. Jude says, woe unto them, they ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Jesus said to Pergamus, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, teachers in the church that take the same position Balaam did. Don't keep a line of separation. You can't get as big a group that way. Bring them in. If you have to get a rock band, bring them in from the football team. Bring them in from the dance floor. Give them some Christian sanctified rock right in the church. Get them to talk religion. And send in the statistics. That's the way to the top. I don't like to preach along a line like this. It's too hard. It's too sad. But it's happening. This is the way of Balaam. Some things are still wrong, friends, if everybody else does it. It's still wrong. It was dead wrong for Balaam to go with these people. You say, well, why did God tell him to go? And I'm going to say it one more time here. If you come to that place where you see what God shows you, plainly you have to do, but you don't want to do it. You want to follow your own desire instead of God's truth. God will push you in this direction. I want to say it again. If you settle here tonight, I want to go after the flesh and after lust and after the love of this world. God will say, all right, go. I cannot overestimate the seriousness of coming up against God's light and saying, but I don't want it. I want my own way. God will let you have your own way and be lost in it. Not because he hates people or wants them to be damned, but his condition is to come to the truth. He's not going to come down to your pleasure or your lust or your compromise to bother you into the kingdom, my friend. The only way in is to come and bow to his truth. Surrender to his will. 
Let God's truth mold your life. He will not compromise with your lust and your pleasure and your worldliness and your compromise. We come to his truth and we're lost forever. The point where we say we see the truth. Yes, God has spoken. But our lusts begin to go out after the world. God will say, go on, go on. I talked to people recently. They say, we never felt such freedom. Neither did Balaam. Balaam had never felt such freedom. Man, I'm out of those old restrictions. I don't have to be so narrow anymore. God's letting me do it. Oh, I feel wonderfully free. Well, the same Bible talks about people who promise freedom but bring into bondage, really, an eternal bondage. The end of Balaam I read tonight, he died with the kings of Midian. When Israel revenged this terrible compromise with the sword, they slew the kings of Midian. And shock of all shocks, there was the prophet Balaam sitting among the kings. That was the place he wanted. And he was slain with the wicked, wicked kings of Midian. And he was as wicked as they were. Where are your friendships tonight? If you're a friend of this world, you're an enemy of God. If you're in love with this world, the love of the Father is not in you. Oh, let me warn you here tonight, especially young people who are in the grip of this thing tonight. If the love of this world is in your heart, the love of the Father is not in your heart. You can't have it both ways. You can't be living for this world and for the world that is to come at the same time. You cannot serve God and mammon. Finally, Balaam gambled for time. He planned to die like the righteous. He planned to go on living it up with the finery and the fancy things and the fun of this world. He loved these wages of unrighteousness. Oh, my salary. Oh, my high position. This association with kings. Why, when did a preacher ever have it so good? He loved it. Oh, of course I want to die like a saint. I want this as long as I can have it. Then I want to slip away and die with the saints. And there are probably a hundred people like that in this house tonight. I assure you, Brother Yoakum, I don't plan to go to hell. I want to die like a saint, but I don't want to live like one. I want to live like the world. I want to be fast and loose with the world. I want to play. I want to be carefree. I don't want to think about serious things. I want my fun. But if Jesus is really coming, there's something stirring in the heart. I, I don't want to be lost when he comes. When I die, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to live like mother and dad, but I want to die like a saint. It's exactly what Balaam's gamble was. And he lost it. Another thing I was praying about this afternoon and searching my memory and searching the scripture. 
Do you know of any single case in all the Bible where a person deliberately put off his salvation after he saw the truth and saw the light who ever got to God? If you can tell me one, I'd like to know it. I'm not saying dogmatically, but I can't think of a single one in all the record of Scripture whoever came up to the clear light of the way of salvation and deliberately put off his salvation, whoever got saved in the record of Scripture. What does that tell me? God doesn't hold out any encouragement whatsoever for tomorrow or day after tomorrow. He sounds this note repeatedly. It is now, now, now. The deadliest gamble there could possibly be is this gamble with time. I think I can go right on living like the world, but I'll die like a saint. It doesn't work. You say, Brother Yoakum, aren't people ever, ever saved who once reject life? Yes, thank God I've known people who were, if there's enough intercession for them. But I tell you one thing, they have to repent of putting it off. They have to admit they've been wrong all the time. Or they'll never make it. Yes, I've known of people who did get in late, and they've repented bitterly that they played the fool as long as they did. I want to repeat something I said the other night here. If you're ever, ever going to make it, friend, you won't make it by waiting for that same great feeling of conviction you one time had. You've sinned it away. It's gone forever. I mean that. Yet I know there are lots of people who say, well, I don't feel any conviction. You never will feel the conviction you one time did. You've sinned against it. You hardened your heart against it. That's gone. If you ever do make it, it's because you're going to call a halt to the way you're going and face up seriously the fact, I am lost now. Not when I die. Tonight, I am lost. And it's not getting any easier to get to God. It's getting harder to get to God. My gamble is getting worse all the time. It's getting easier to put it off, but more dangerous to put it off. I'm going to stop this foolish, insane gambling with my soul. And some of you clear back on the back rows tonight could make this decision right where you are and I plead with you in Jesus' name to seriously give that your consideration tonight. There's no promise. There's no promise that if you deliberately put off your salvation you'll ever have a chance to get in again. On the other hand, I could give you many cases out of the scripture where people put it off deliberately and didn't make it. Herod the king came repeatedly to John the Baptist. He was moved greatly by John's preaching. He loved to hear that preaching. It stirred him to the depths and he came again and again to that preaching encounter. But he put it off and he put it off. And according to the Bible, his heart became as hard as a stone. He became a beast in the appearance of a man. A totally God-abandoned soul 
just because he put off his salvation exactly like some of you are doing tonight. Paul preached to Felix, the governor of Judea, until Felix trembled under the preaching of the word of God. We are told that Felix called for Paul frequently to commune with him, to hear what he had to say. But he kept putting off his salvation. And so far as we know, Felix went down to hell just like some precious hearts here are going. Unless you take yourself in hand and call a halt to this foolish gambling and say, I must seek God tonight. I must seek God while I can. In the country where I had my first pastorate, there had been a man living and attending the little holiness church. One night God was moving in that community. This man fell under conviction deep conviction for his sin. The people of God were moved because of him. They entreated him to come. A friend went to him and pleaded with him to give his heart to the Lord. No, he said, no. I'm all right. Don't worry about me. I'll get along all right. Oh, no. Leave me alone. They did. Within the next week, he got into a quarrel with a neighbor over a fence line, and he was killed in the encounter. In less than one week from the time he had been there in that church and the choir had been singing, Nearer my God to thee. When he said, I'll be all right. I'll go my own way. The choir was singing again and it was singing the same song, Nearer my God to thee. The same man was there but as a corpse and his soul in hell. I'll be all right, preacher. I'll be all right. That's what some of you are thinking tonight. You're not gambling with money. You're not gambling with your physical health. You're gambling with your one immortal soul. And the best time you will ever have, the very best time you will ever have to get right with God is tonight. It's a foolish, foolish, hellish dream that some other future time is a better time to get to God than now. It's a lie of the devil. If you're thinking there's a better time than tonight to get to God, you're following the same delusion that Balaam followed. I can live like the world and die like a saint. And you won't make it. You'll be lost. Shall we stand together? Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on.